Good morning, good morning. It's been a really, it's been a, it's been a blessing so far, hasn't it? Blessing so far. Um, we're going to continue in our series, Good King, Bad King. Malcolm came up with this idea um, when considering the coronation of King Charles, and I'm, I'm sure you'll uh, agree that it's been a really helpful series. Um, looking, at book, looking at a book in the Bible that perhaps we don't often uh, look at, either maybe in our personal prayer, um, Bible reading or, or, or as a church. So um, we've got a really interesting one today, really, really interesting one. It's Asa, the devoted king, but it could also be another title which I'll tell you at the end. Um, I think we'll explore it together. One of the things you may not realize is is that in the book of Kings, where it goes through the different kings, in the book of Chronicles, you will find parallel stories of the same kings. I don't know if you realize that. And the stories fill each other out. So if you're ever going through the book of Kings and you're, you're going through the various kings, it's always a good idea to do some sort of word search on that king, find out where they come in Chronicles and read them alongside each other because it really fills it out. And we'll see, you'll see what I mean by that as we go through um, today's story. So let's start by reading um, 1 Kings chapter 15. And we're going to start in verse 9. We're going to read through to verse 24. 1 Kings chapter 15. Verse 9, obviously you can follow it on the screen or um, in your own uh, copy of the Bible. In the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa began to reign over Judah, the southern kingdom. And he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. I want you to take note of that, a 41-year reign. His mother's name was Markah, the daughter of Abishalom. And Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as David his father had done, He put away the male cult prostitutes out of the land and removed all the idols that his father had made. He also removed Markah, his mother, from being queen mother because she had made an abominable image for Asherah. And Asa cut down her image and burnt it at the brook Kidron. But the higher places were not taken away. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true to the Lord all his days. And he brought into the house of the Lord the sacred gifts of his father and his own sacred gifts, silver and golden vessels. And there was war between Asa and Baasha, king of Israel, all their days. Baasha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might permit no one to go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took all the silver and the gold that were left in the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and gave them into the hands of his servants. And king Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of Tabramon, the son of Hezion, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying... Let there be a covenant between me and you, as it was between my father and your father. Behold, I'm sent into your present of silver and gold. Go, break your covenant with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel and conquered Ejon, Dan, Abel, Beth, Marka, and all Chinneroth with all the land of Naphtali. And when Baasha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah and he lived in Terza. Then King Asa made a proclamation to all Judah None was exempt, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber, with which Baasha had been building, and with them King Asa built Geba of Benjamin and Mizpah. Now the rest of all the acts of Asa, all his might, and all that he did, and the cities that he built, 
Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah, like I said earlier? But in his old age, he was diseased in his feet. And Asa slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. And Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you so much for uh, the content of your word. And Father, you know, and we be honest before you, that sometimes when we read it, there are bits about it that we don't know what to do with. We don't know how it's relevant. We don't know why it's there. So we just constantly need the wisdom of your spirit who inspired these words to bring them home to us, Lord, so we can understand the importance of them. So I just pray as we look at the story of King Asa, Lord, that by your spirit, you'd be moving among us. And I want to pray, Lord, and ask that you'd really be ministering to particular people that really need to hear something very important today. So, Lord, help us to hear. Keep us from distractions. Help us to hear out for what you're saying, we pray. Amen. Amen. So a very long reign, 41 years. Imagine that. Reigning as king for 41 years. Obviously, we go, hey, that's nothing, because we just see what Queen Elizabeth did. But 41 years is a long time to reign, to be doing the same thing. And there was plenty good about it. And when you read in the Chronicles, there's even more detail. It's filled out the sheer devotion of this man to the Lord. He loved Yahweh. He loved Yahweh. A little interesting aside is that his father didn't. It's a little interesting aside. I'm not going to focus ages on it, but I just want to say sometimes with these kings, you get these quite interesting scenarios where you get a really godly king and then their son's really evil or a really evil king and then their son's really godly. Sometimes it matches, sometimes it doesn't. And just to say on that, by God's grace, we don't have to be determined by where we came from. It's not inevitable that if you come from a certain way of living or way of doing things, that that's kind of, that's defined your whole story. That actually the Bible says that one of the things the blood of Jesus does is that it, it redeems us from futile ways inherited from our forefathers. And it's ever so important that we take that seriously because no matter what, what kind of a healthy lineage or not so we've come from, there'll be things, all, all of us that we come from, where you go, that could have been better. But we don't need to be, our whole story doesn't need to be defined by where we've come from. This man Asa, he's, he didn't have a, a, a godly uh, model to look up to in his father. That really wasn't the case. Things were bad before him. But nevertheless, God got hold of his heart. And God can get hold of people's hearts and use them in the most extraordinary way. So do not disqualify yourself. Praise God if we have a godly lineage. But if we haven't, you know, the blood of Jesus is more powerful. Amen. So it's really important that we remember that. But he did these wonderful things. He, he got rid of the old fertility gods. Now that would have been a really bold move to get the male cult. Why would it male cult? Why did you have cult prostitutes? It was associated with the worship of fertility gods. Because these were agrarian cultures. It was all about the weather, the sun and the rain. If that didn't happen on time, the food wouldn't grow. If that didn't happen on time, we're starving. There's no plan B. There's no social security. There's nothing, nothing like that. So you're completely reliant on the elements, on the climate, on the weather. And so, therefore, you can understand why people would have lived with this idea of fertility gods. Gods that were particularly uh, involved in, um, in, in the fruit either of the land or the fruitfulness of people's wombs. It was all kind of connected in people's thinking. And so that's why you would have these people would go and they would worship these gods and they would have ritual sex. 
the purpose of the purpose of that was because it was it was deemed that somehow that would that would bring a blessing from the fertility god that was the idea completely ungodly um, really not in the heart of god at all but it just shows when you begin to develop your own religious ideas what comes with it are all kinds of fears and lusts they get attached to it because it's come out of your own imagination and you end up with something that God's looking on going, why are you doing that? You don't need to do that. In fact, if you read through the promises in Deuteronomy of, of blessing for those who've just faithfully followed God and um, he says, I'm, I, I will, I'll bless the land. You haven't got to work it the whole time. Let the land lie fallow every seven years. Have a rest. It doesn't hang on you. It hangs on me. Trust me, it doesn't hang on you. You're not keeping this thing going. Work hard, but do it in the spirit of rest, spirit of faith. I'm in charge of everything. Everything. You don't have to have a God for this and a God for that. I'm the God of heaven and earth. You can come to me for everything. And it's completely countercultural, totally foreign to what people are into in these days and in these times. A completely different thing. He swept them all out of the way. Get, get out. <laughs> we don't need, we don't, this isn't how we worship. Because we're not worshipping these gods. Um, but you can imagine for people that were trapped into those kinds of religion, they're full of superstition and fear, those kinds of religions. But if I don't do that, then that won't happen. It's this kind of like, it's kind of like a vending machine religion. But if I don't, then that, if I, it's formulas and it becomes like magic. That's not true religion. True religion is built on a relationship with a gracious God. It's a relationship, not a formula. Now, I'm pushing it a bit hard because sometimes people can syncretize their ideas about religion with, with Christianity and end up with a kind of a blend of the two. And they basically, really, the way they live is just in fear and superstition. I haven't done that, so that won't happen. And it's not really a relationship with God. When you walk with someone, things are more nuanced than that because he's a person, he searches the heart, it's a relationship. Sometimes you do all the right things, but from the wrong motive, and he sees it. So it doesn't work. Sometimes you don't manage to do that thing you should have done, but God sees the heart. It's all good. It's a relationship. See, it's different. So Asa sweeps it all out of the way, but getting rid of that. Then he removes his own mum. There could be trouble ahead from, from being the queen mother. She gets Why? She built, she built an abominable image. She was apostate in her heart. She was not faithful. She was in a position of influence and authority, but she was leading people away from God. So Asa's loyalty to the living God trumps his loyalty to human relationships. Ooh, there could be trouble. I mean, this is, this is trouble. This stuff is trouble. But Jesus... You find it with Jesus. His, 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 his family begin to lose control of him. And there's a moment where he's teaching and the house is crowded and the family can't get in. And they send a message in saying, let Jesus know that his mum and brothers are outside. And there's this whole thing. It's a moment for Jesus. And the message gets to Jesus and he looks around and he says, who are my mother and my brothers? Those who do the will of God are my mother and my brothers. Ouch. What's he doing there? He's redrawing the line saying, I love you. Uh, and I'm going to serve you, but you're not my master. Yeah? We serve people, but they're never our master. He's our master. Jesus draws a line, you see? Ace is the same. You cannot, with that heart, be in that position. I'm going to remove you. 
Why? It's going to lead people away from the worship of God. Radical, radical devotion to God. Then there's this thing of um, the sacred gifts coming into the house. We saw, I won't do the whole last week's sermon, but this love for the house of God. Again, he's bringing in gifts of gold until he loves the house of God. He loves God. He loves the house of God. It's where God's presence dwells. It's the worship of God. He loves God. He loves the church. It's just the way it goes. So it's absolutely wonderful. And there are these two, two quotes I want to just draw your attention to. It says, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and his heart was wholly true to the Lord all his days. So he did what was right, and his heart was true. If you want to think out, what does it look like to really walk with God? It's, it's, it, it impacts upon the way we live, the decisions we make about what we do, whether we offer the, our instruments of our body, of the, our members of our body as instruments of righteousness, or we offer them to other things. Okay, it's what we do. Is it right in the eyes of God? And what heart is it? Is it coming from a true heart? Or is it just trying to look good in front of other people or establish yourself in self-righteousness? No, a heart for God, the issues in a lifestyle that honors him. Wonderful, simple, absolutely great. So there we go. It's all looking good at this point. But there are two things that go on in this, um, in this story, which if we didn't have the book of Chronicles, we'd just think, hey, fine, no problem. Is it well with King Barsha and King Barsha erects this kind of... Um, New city that's essentially going to hem in um, the kingdom of Judah. And so he go, So Asa goes to, he takes of the sacred things that have been brought into the house of God, the silver and the gold, and he takes them and he goes to the king of Syria and he says, let's have an alliance and you stop supporting him and then, then that will get him off of our backs. And it, in quotes, works. Okay? Just as that's what happens. No other comments given. And then later in the story, we're told this slightly random bit. Probably all of you went, oh, near the end, where we're told he has bad feet. I'm sure, did any of you notice that? <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Right, so it's suddenly it's just there. But in his old age, he was diseased at his feet. So what's going on there? Well, let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 16 together. Because I want to suggest that there's something else going on. There's a wonderful, devoted heart. If you read the chapters before, I think it's chapters 14 and 15, it's even more... Even more depth and breadth and breadth and width and height to his devotion. It's wonderful, wonderful king. But but there's there's a but, and I want to just I want to go into it together. So, two Chronicles chapter sixteen. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Baasha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah. We've looked at that earlier. That he might permit no one to go out or come into Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord. We looked at that and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, let's, let's, let's join together. Okay? Um, and that all happened. And then we're going to fast forward down to verse 7. At that time, Hanani, the seer, a seer is a prophet, came to Asa king of Judah and said to him, because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer. You know, when someone speaks the truth, you don't want to hear it. <laughs> 
and put him in the stocks in prison, for he was in a rage with him because of this. And he inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. So he's basically got the right hump now, as we say in England, because he knows he's done wrong. The act of Asa from first to last are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet and his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. Now, just, just there, what's wrong with going to the doctors? Well, the doctors wouldn't have been like your GP. It's occult stuff, okay? It's magic, it's all of that, okay? So he's got bad feet. Instead of seeking the Lord... He goes for potions and all that sort of stuff. And he slept with his fathers, dying in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in the tomb that he'd cut for himself in the city of David. Um, so it's an interesting thing here. We've got two things. Number one, a reliance issue develops in him. Previously in Chronicles, we're told about this enormous army of a million soldiers that came up from Ethiopia, totally outnumbered, and he relies on God, and God deals with them. And the prophet says, remember, remember that time, you were completely outnumbered, but you relied on God. Whereas now, what you've done is, the, the treasuries that you've brought into the house of God as part of your devotion, in your unbelief, panic, fear, whatever, you've, you, you, you've found your own solution. And you've taken that stuff and you've sent it to the king of Syria to try and sort it out. And God says, in that moment, in your spirit, you stopped relying on me. You used to rely on me. You, don't, you, you stopped relying on me. And reliance is a subtle thing, isn't it? Because it's a heart thing. It's a heart thing. And we don't know why Asa stopped relying, but something happened in his heart. Relying on God isn't easy. Relying on God involves relying on God. And that's hard. Because when you re truly rely on God, even though it doesn't mean you're passive in whatever's going on, in your heart, you've taken your hands off of the outcome. In your heart, you've gone, I'm not going to control this, Lord. Now that's, a, that's deep waters, that is, particularly for stuff you care about. If you're a king and you're under siege, or someone's blocking you off, that's, that's, that's cast, right? That, what am I going to look like? What are people going to think? Da, da, da. You panic. And you create a solution. God says, well, where, was I, where was I in that? Remember when those days when you used to look to me in these situations? What, where was I in that? Strangely absent. And we'll just take the stuff that we took into the house of God and we'll, we'll, we'll hold on a minute, whoa, 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 do what with it? That was the stuff you brought into the house of God. So you're taking this devoted stuff and, you're, you're, and now what you're doing out of your unbelief, you're panicking, you're taking stuff, you devote it to God, and you're trying to... It's the, actually, what's going on there is the fruit of a heart that has stopped trusting and stopped relying. So we need to think about this and consider it soberly. The second thing is this, is that with, when the feet thing came, he didn't seek God. Really interesting, isn't it? Because I, I was interested in your feet. I wasn't too busy for your feet. I wasn't too weak for your feet. I, didn't, I hadn't forgotten your feet. I didn't, I, I didn't not care that your feet were hurting. Didn't seek me about your feet. You looked elsewhere. Really, really interesting. The, the things we do, we either consider are not important enough or so important that we've got to take matters into our hands. 
And I'm wondering this. I'm wondering, is Asa not just a devoted king, but is he also the king who in some kind of strange way ran out of steam? Started really strong. Really like, credible, like radical, sweeping things out of the way, deposing his own mum from a position. I mean, he, there, was, there was a sense of zeal filled with je- godly jealousy for the glory of God. He understood who Yahweh was and wanted him to have all the glory. This is the God of heaven. And if we're going to do away with all the other gods, why? We don't need them. <laughs> we don't need them. We've got him. He sees all things. He knows all things. He's upholding all things. He cares. He's strong. He's gracious. He's loving. He's faithful. We've got Yahweh. But then as perhaps time went on, it doesn't say explicitly, but clearly there was a sense in which in his heart, maybe he just started to run out of steam a little bit. It can happen. And really where I want to land this sermon, we're deliberately going to land it a bit a bit earlier and a shorter sermon so we can just, I guess, give a chance, particularly for those of us perhaps who've been following the Lord for a while, to just be able to say, Lord, I want to just, I want, I want to renew my reliance upon you. And I want to say, Lord, please help me not to get fed up seeking you. Seeking God's hard work. When you're seeking God, you don't know how long, how long it's going to be until he says, you found me. Because we can't, it's not, it's, the whole thing with witchcraft and your cult is what you're doing is you're using spiritual things to try and control situations. In a relationship with God, you're essentially out of control. That's the difference. It's not that you've got God so he can do the things you want him to do, so you can, he can sort things out for you. No, no, what it is is that you, you're living in a, in, a, in, a, in a relationship of love and trust with one who has your best interests at heart. But it only flows when you trust him. Only flows when you rely on it. And Jesus gives us such a wonderful example of this, doesn't he? You know, I mean, you look at what Jesus did for those three years, you think, if I was going to start a worldwide movement that was going to become the most, for want of a better word, successful religion on the planet, I wouldn't do that. I'd travel more, I'd write a whole load of stuff, I'd invest in the most educated and articulate. He really, it was very unusual what he did. You must remember that. But why did he do it? Why did he say, I only do what I see the Father doing? See, Jesus is now I'm reliant on the Father. He's got a plan. I'm going to trust it, and I'm going to rely on it. Even to the cro- at the cross, everyone's going, it's all gone wrong. The disciples think it's gone wrong. Everyone thinks this guy's a joke. And then we, we find out later that on the cross, he's disarming all of the principalities, powers, dark. He's completely, this is the moment of victory here. Boom. And the resurrection demonstrates that that is exactly the case. He's done it. But he's lived a life of very simple trust and reliance and just seeking God. He's, he's clear that he's stripped a lot. There's not, it's not a complicated thing. It's a very simple thing. But there's a real beauty about it. Now, the Bible says that as followers of Jesus, we go from one degree of glory to another. That we don't run out of steam. But we're human. Am I right? So there's this renewing work going on in our spirit, but it's in, it's in a jar of clay, so it's not always easy to know how not to run out of steam. Those of you that have been following for a while. Psalm 84 says that those who set their hearts on pilgrimage and following the Lord, that they go from strength to strength. 
some quite big promises in the Bible. And what I'm going to end on, and then what we're going to commit ourselves to, and, and I'd love us to be able to pray for people as well, is, is, is two things. The first is renewed confidence and reliance upon him. That leads to reliance on him. Where in your heart you know that you're not, you're not trying to, you, it's not machinations, you're not trying to make things happen. You go, I'm going to really, I'm going I'm to renew my reliance upon you, Lord. Not because I'm really amazing, but because you are. And you are, trust, you are trustworthy. And you will you'll make it good. Myself and Davina, we were on a call recently with this guy who kind of helps leaders. So that sort of comp- really interesting conversation. And uh, we were trying to get a bit of advice, a bit of wisdom. You know, just help us, you know, help us do well for the next over many years sort of conversation. And he said to me, and I want to leave this with you. He said to me, he said, what you find is, is that people, they scale a hill in their life in terms of their, that people tend to have one big kind of spiritual achievement in them, you know, or there'll be lots of things, but it tends to, you can look at it and go, that's one thing. That way you go, you know, God prepared you for it and then you kind of did it. Um, and it's, you know, it could be to do with, you know, everything. I mean, you, you name it. I'm not just talking church stuff here. For us, it was in this context because of what God called us to. But just think holistically here, right? But it's, a, it's about, it's, a, it's, it's, it's your life, your race. It's your race. That's the best way of thinking about it. It's what's, what's, what's the race marked out for me? It's your race. And there's like a hill to scale, a hill to scale. And as he's saying that, we're thinking planting rev, you know. Everything up to that was uh, preparation. And then, you know, we threw ourselves at it for, you know, in terms of seeing it established and, and become what it's become. That was probably our heel. He said this. He said, then people tend to do one of three things. They, 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 they because once you've done that hill, you, you then come downhill and you go, they either try to do a repeat of what they did. Problem is they're older. <laughs> yeah, they're older. So it's like you know, like you know, like the boxers that never quite know when to hang their gloves up because they feel nah. You interview them before the fight, they go nah. The best training camp ever. It's going to be great. And then they get into the ring and they grow old overnight. You, literally, that's a phrase in the boxing. He's grown old overnight. You go, God, mate, he's not who he was. You feel like you were, but you're not. Yeah. So. But some people, they, 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 the adrenaline of the first hill, the one, right, we're going to go again. And, you know, number two, people just, they come down and they go, do you know what? I'm going to sit it out. I'll just stay here now. Scaled me heel. And um, we'll, we'll just, we'll, we'll settle. So the third option is you scale a, you scale a different hill. He said, and often the, diff, the, diff, the different hill, because you're a bit older, it's, more to, it's less to do with uh, energy and more to do with wisdom. So that's interesting. Less to do with activity and more to do with presence, like who you are. Less to do with what you're doing for the Lord and more to do with who you're investing in. Real, I thought it was real wisdom. I thought, oh, this is so helpful. Um, and 
I, I, just, I guess I just felt in preparing this, and what's the burden, Lord? We know what the text is. There's some great stuff in it. But what's the prophetic burden? And I just felt it's like it's the 41, a 41-year reign. He, he did an amazing job. And, you know, the assessment of him is godly guy, good king. But when you get a bit closer to it, you go, could have been better. Probably run out of a bit of steam. I have a, I have a, you know, in terms of the hills, I don't know. I mean, that's not a biblical thing. But you know, where did he fit in that? I don't know. But there was so much that he would have learned in those early years that he could have passed on.